welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Last week, Jesus sends the disciples out on this first ever short-term mission trip. They all come back, kind of anticlimactic. We don't hear much from them. This is verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. That's it. We don't know a ton about what happened. There's some indications that they had a successful trip, but uh, we're not told directly. What we're going to look at today is what happens when the disciples come back. And uh, I, I think they're hungry and I think they're tired. So I think those two things. And as we read, uh, see if you agree. Then because so many people were coming and going, uh, they didn't even have a chance to eat. That's the disciples. Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of fifties and hundreds, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. Jesus gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, "'Take courage, it's I, don't be afraid.'" Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. So again, um, I think the disciples at this point are, are hungry and they're tired. They're not able to rest. Um, and, and so Jesus says to them, let's, let's go away to a, a quiet place or a solitary place. They get in a boat. And according to Luke's version, the people learn about, is what it says, learn about where Jesus is going to go. And so they beat him to the spot. And so the disciples pull up, put yourself in their shoes. So you've just come, come back from this trip. Again, you're probably pretty worn out, but you're also probably pretty excited. Um, there's a crowd around Jesus, again, so much so that you're not even able to eat. He says, let's pull away. You're probably pretty excited about that. You get in a boat and when you land, there's more people, the crowd's grown. It says people ran from all the surrounding 
cities or all the surrounding villages. There's more people when they get out of the boat than when they got in the boat. That's, if it's me, like, to be honest, I'm not, I'm not thrilled about that at all. I'm not. But Jesus doesn't get back in the boat. He doesn't tell the crowd to go away. He, he steps out and he, he begins to, to teach them. Now, this miracle, you may know this, this is the only one that's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, outside of the resurrection of Jesus, which is a different category altogether. This is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. And if you believe the Bible's inspired by God, then God, the Holy Spirit, inspired Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to include this miracle, but no other one did he inspire each one of those guys to include. So it's, it's really significant. And I, I think you could make a case based on that. This is the most significant miracle, again, outside of the resurrection of Jesus in the New Testament. What is going on here? I mean, again, it's a great story, but what exactly is going on? These disciples who, again, in my opinion, are probably pretty tired and pretty hungry and a bit grouchy at this point when they get off the boat. Now there's 12,000 people easy. That's a conservative estimate, 5,000 men. So 12,000 total. And Jesus says, no, we're, we're going we're gonna to take care of them. And that's what he proceeds to do. He spends the day teaching them. It's late in the day. The disciples go to him and say, send them away again. I'm thinking if it's me, my motives are probably mixed. There's probably a bit of me that's saying, hey, they need something to eat. And there's a lot of me that's saying, can we send them away? That's what we came here to do, like send them away. And Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. Which I'm sure at that point, they're going like, what do you want us to do? There's 12,000 of them. What do you want us to do? It would cost, your Bible may say, 200 denarii. A denarius is what you uh, made in a day. So 200 days worth of salary. Do you want us to go buy that kind of food? And even if Jesus said, yeah, there's no place, there's no Costco. Where you, you can't buy that much food anywhere. There's no places for them to go. I think at this point, again, they're probably a little hangry with him. And I think there's some of this going on with the disciples. I think, again, they're worn out at this point, um, and, and they're, they're frustrated, I think. And Jesus says, well, go see what you can get. And then, again, in my mind, I'm thinking they come back with five loaves of bread and two fish, and like, all right, what are you going to do, big shot? Here's what we've got. Like, I just wonder, I mean, what are they? There's 12,000 people, and they're bringing them one boy's lunch. What do they think he's going to do? I, again, I'm wondering if, I, I don't know, but the disciples are people. And I'm just thinking, if it's me, and I'm, again, I'm hungry and I'm tired, and I don't know what the disciples do when Jesus is doing the big open-air preaching. I don't know if they're just sitting in the crowd or if they're managing the crowd or if they're among the crowd, kind of amplifying and clarifying the message, but they've been, they've been doing something over these hours that's not resting and eating. And now Jesus says, well, you feed them, and they don't have any way of feeding them. Again, they're, they're, what are they supposed to do? And so, again, I, I'm almost wondering if they're tweaking him a little bit, bringing him five loaves of bread and two fish. Almost like, see, we, we need to let them, we don't have any food. You've got to let them go. And now, again, put yourself in these shoes. So, so a loaf of bread was probably, the, the thing I read, maybe seven inches in diameter, uh, a seven inch diameter circle and the fish would have been smoked. So this is our best approximation. That's what he gave each one of the 12 disciples. That much bread. We didn't get smoked. We didn't get fish because it would probably smell. We got beef jerky, which smells just as bad. So be careful. So maybe something like this. So that's what you get. 
Peter gets that, James, John. And then he says, okay, just for the sake of ease of math, everybody sits in groups of 100. So there's 12,000 people, so you've got 120 groups, right? And so each disciple is responsible for 10 groups or 1,000 people. So this is about 100 people. What do you think they're doing? Like, that's what I'm trying to picture. When Jesus says, here, you go feed them. What do they do when they walk up to the first guy? I, I'm serious. Some of y'all, when you take communion, you take like this much. It's almost like you're just dipping your fingers in it. Like, that's what you get. That's what, that's what you would be telling people to do. That, eat that. Maybe if it's me, it says they take 12 basketfuls, so I'm guessing everybody has a basket. I'm putting it in a basket and I'm just handing it to Charles and saying, just take what you want. And then by the time it gets to the next guy, you can just say, he ate it all. I don't know what you're, I don't know how it works for them. A thousand people with that much food. But they do it. They go and they feed everybody. And then again, there's 12 basketfuls left over. This is not the main point, but I do think it's significant. Last week, my hands smell awful now. I feel like I can't touch my clothes. So the last week we talked about these guys going on this short-term trip and Jesus gave them power and authority to do what he's done. Preach the good news, heal the sick, drive out demons. He gave them power and authority. And again, we think from what we can tell, they were successful in that work. So even though I think they're tired and I think they're hungry, I do think if they look back, they're probably kind of thinking, hey, we're like, we're pretty cool. Like we, look what we just did. They're probably feeling pretty good about themselves. They've seen um, this side of ministry and mission, the power and the authority that Jesus gives. And again, this is not the main point of this story, but I do think it's significant. Now they're seeing the responsibility piece. This is what it, you have power and you have authority to say and to, and to do some really incredible things. And you have 12,000 people that you need to take care of. They're gonna eat before you eat. They get 12 basketfuls left over, they are taken care of. But you don't get to eat until they do. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. This is a demonstration of that. Again, it's not the main point, but I think it's significant them coming off of this ministry where maybe they can get in their mind, hey, we've got a lot of stuff. We're like, people are gonna be happy to see us. We're powerful. We're authoritative. We can do some really neat things that not other people can do. And then here's kind of the reality check around that. This is what it looks like to care for people. This is what it looks like to serve. Yes, you have power. Yes, you have authority. And you're gonna use it on behalf of others, not for yourself. You get to eat last. That's what, I, again, that's not the main point, but I do think it's significant and maybe something for us to keep in mind. Again, as we think about today being Pentecost Sunday. So then, interesting to me, the conclusion of that story which I would think would be pretty celebratory and everybody's excited. And Jesus immediately, the, 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 this, the, um, the words around that are, are very uh, strong. Immediately, he dismisses the crowd, tells the disciples to get in a boat and go away, and he climbs up on a mountain. We'll come back to that in a minute. And he prays. And then it's, it's 
somewhere between three and six in the morning, the disciples are straining at the oars. That word straining is a really strong word. It, it, it means to torture. So it's if you're under great distress, they're subject to great distress. So it's, they're working out there and it's difficult for them. Jesus sees them and he walks on the water and the NIV says he's about to pass them by. A more literal translation is he intended to pass them by. That was his desire. His intention was to walk past them. But they see him, think he's a ghost, and they scream. And so he gets in the boat. He says, don't be afraid, it's I. And then there's another miracle, not just walking on water, but as soon as he gets in the boat, the wind stops. That's a miracle. And they're amazed. Your Bible may say they're astonished. Uh, But then interestingly, again, they didn't understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hard. And then you have this summary statement of what happens when they land, ministry continues. We'll circle back to that uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, For us, as we're trying to think through the loaves and the walking on water, those miracles to me feel different than the others we've seen. The others are, we've got healings and we've got people being uh, set free from demonic bondage. These feel different and walking on water feels even more different than the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, we'll try to unpack those here in the next couple of minutes. So three statements that I want us to look at briefly to help us understand. We'll start at the end and kind of work our way back up. So that one statement, it says they're, they're completely amazed, or again, your Bible may say completely astonished. They didn't understand about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. So that's a connection between the loaves and walking on water. There's a connection between those stories because they didn't understand what was being communicated through the loaves and the fishes. They didn't understand what it meant for Jesus Uh, to walk on water. And it says they were uh, astonished or amazed. And we hear those words as positive words. They're neutral at best in the Bible. Uh, It it means that word astonished, it means to be astounded by something miraculous, extraordinary, or confusing. And at this point, the disciples are, are, they're, they're confused to be perfectly honest. It says their hearts are hard. That's the worst thing you can say about someone in terms of their relationship with God, to be resistant. They're not hearing and they're not seeing. They're not getting it. They're, whether they're actively resisting, I would say probably not, but they're, they're just not, it's not, it's not sinking in. Even if on some level they're beginning to understand Jesus either is or could be the Messiah, they don't understand what that means or what kind of Messiah he's going to be. They're, they're not, they're, they're not following. They're not tracking. Even with all the time they've spent with them, even after they've gone out and proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. So they've talked about him preached about him, they still don't understand. They're astonished, but they're still not believing. To be astonished at what Jesus has done is not the same thing as believing in or trusting who he is. It's inadequate. It's an inadequate response because they don't understand about the loaves. They don't understand about Jesus walking on the water. So what is it about the loaves? Why is that in all four? Lazarus being raised from the dead, no. Guy who's been paralyzed from birth who can now walk, no. We got a guy who's been crippled at the pool of Bethesda, no. Water into wine, no. Why this one of all of them? The one we looked at a few weeks ago, this incredible story where Jesus sets a man free who's who's in bondage this really powerful demon. Nope, that's not an all four either. Why this one? The key, I think, is he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. When we hear the word compassion, we tend to think pity, maybe feeling sorry for somebody. 
In the New Testament, it's much stronger than that, is to be deeply moved at the plight of another, but the key idea is moved. It's not just to feel something, it's to do something. So every time we read that word compassion associated with Jesus, he's always moving to address whatever it is, whatever the situation is, whatever the plight is, he's doing something about it. He's moved with compassion, so he teaches. He's moved with compassion, so he heals. He's moved with compassion, so he feeds. He, he addresses the need. Again, it's not just a sentiment for him. It actually, it's motivation for him. So he has compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And when I hear that, I don't know what you think. I tend to think of internal unrest. People who are upset or who are distraught. People have something going on in here. And Jesus is coming to calm them down. There, there is truth to that for sure, but that's not what it means to be like sheep without a shepherd. To be sheep without a shepherd is to be people without a king. That's an Old Testament phrase. Israel, sheep, their leaders, kings. So, or excuse me, their leaders are, are shepherds. So to say they're like sheep without a shepherd is Jesus feels compassion because he sees their people, these people, they don't have a king. They don't have a leader. And so then he's moved to do something about it. And that's the key to understanding the loaves and the fishes. It's Jesus expressing his kingship. It's a huge statement and we can miss it. He is, he is feeding them for sure. They're hungry and he's feeding them. But there's something much more significant going on. It's, it, it's him being, again, moved to do something about the plight of these people. They're leaderless. They're kingless. And he's stepping into that. saying that that's me. And the people actually get it. We can miss it. But the people get it. In John's version of this story, after Jesus feeds them, it says, surely this is the prophet. And your Bible will have a capitalized P. Way back in Deuteronomy 18, Moses said, after me, God will send you another prophet and you need to listen to him. One of the things that God did through Moses was feed people in the desert for 40 years. There was manna on the ground every day. People just woke up and there was food. Water came from a rock. God did that, but Moses was the leader and it was associated with him. And so over time, when, as people began to think about this prophet with a capital P, what they were thinking is someone who's gonna take care of us in this way. He'll do, he'll do even greater things, but that's one of the things he's gonna do is he's gonna feed us. He's gonna take care of us the way Moses did. And that's what Jesus does. They're going, hey, this could be him. And in John, it says they intended to make him king by force. I don't know how you make a, someone king by force if they don't want to be the king. I don't know how you make them the king, but that's their intention. And it says Jesus knew this. And so then it starts to make sense why he dismissed the crowd. He's not looking to be made king by force. He's not looking for some kind of revolution, some kind of mob activity. It makes sense why he sent the disciples away. At this point, because their hearts are hard, they don't, they're just as likely to go along with the crowd as not. They'll probably just jump on the bandwagon. And so he sends them away also. He goes up on a mountain to pray, I think, to recenter. If you uh, want core doctrine of Christianity, the incarnation that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man at the same time. If you take 100% man seriously, then he has limitations just like we do. He's not omnipresent. He's in one place at one time, not everywhere at once. He's not omnipotent. He gets tired. He gets hungry. He can be hurt. He has physical limitations just like we do. And I would say he's not omniscient either. He doesn't know everything. 
He has, a, he has a very clear connection to the Father. There are things the Father tells him for sure. But I don't think he's on mission. I think that's part of what it means to be 100% human because we're not. So I don't know that he necessarily, when he starts teaching this crowd and then he feeds them, I don't know that he's seeing, hey, they're gonna try to make me king by force. And so as soon as he sees that starting to happen, he dismisses the crowd, he sends the disciples away and he goes up on a mountain. I don't know if you hear this in that story or not, but I kind of hear echoes of that first temptation and, or those temptations in the wilderness before he gets started. The setting is the same, a quiet place, a solitary place, that's the same word as wilderness. And then this idea of hunger is a, is a theme that runs through it. Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. He's been fasting, so he's hungry. And Satan says, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Here we've got people who are hungry and Jesus multiplies bread. Satan says, why don't you jump off the pinnacle of the temple, do something spectacular? Jesus, he does something really spectacular in this story. He, turn, he feeds everybody with five loaves of, with that little slice of bread and beef jerky, and he feeds 12,000 people. Satan says, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll make you the king. And we've got people who are saying, I'll make you the king. There's some similarities there. And just like in the first chapter of Mark, where Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, and he passes all of those tests, he resists all the temptation, we see him here doing the same. He uses his power not to meet his own needs, but meet, to meet the needs of the crowd. He does something spectacular, but not in a way that tests God. He looks up to heaven. And he thanks God for what he's been given, this lunch. And then God multiplies it. And again, he continues to show he's gonna be the kind of king who's gonna follow in the steps of the father, the father's plan. And so he's not gonna try to avoid the cross. He's not gonna bow down to Satan and he's, gonna, he's not gonna allow this crowd to make him the king. I don't know if you see that or not, but to me, it's, it's, we have a vindication or a validation of Jesus as the Messiah, Remember in Mark, this is the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what Mark wants us to see. The feeding of the 5,000, again, we can miss it because we can focus just on the fact that people who are hungry are getting food, which is huge. But what's underneath it is Jesus is saying, these people don't have a king and I'm gonna be that for them. And some of them picked up on it. The disciples weren't, weren't in the group though. So then later that night, when Jesus comes out walking on the water, he's showing that he's the son of God, but they, don't, they miss that as well. This is more subtle, but it's clear. There's some, there's some verses on the screen behind me where the, the, the way the story is told, it, it, it has clear connections to the Old Testament. The idea of walking on water, God's the only one who does that. There's a song, there's a, a, those are just representative scriptures, there are others talks about God walking on the water. Even the idea of passing by, that's how God reveals himself to people in the Old Testament, both to Moses and Elijah. He says, I'm gonna pass by you. You can't handle kind of a face-to-face -face with me. So I'm just gonna pass by. Jesus saying he intended to pass by them. And then when it says, you know, it is me, that's, that's the way God revealed himself. His name is I am. All of those are, again, are indications that, that this, for Jesus, it's some people call it, maybe the word would be theophany. It's God revealing himself through Jesus. And the disciples miss it. They didn't understand about the bread, so they can't understand about the walking on water. And we don't wanna be that way. We don't wanna have hearts that are hard. 
We don't want to miss what God is saying to us. What last week we talked about in the summer, in the months of June and July, let's take one characteristic of Jesus that we tend to underemphasize and let's intentionally grow. There's a, a, the list from last week is on the screen behind me. You may have other that are more uh, relevant to you, but those are just some suggestions. One of the roles of Jesus that, that we or that you would tend to underemphasize in saying intentionally over the course of this summer, I want to grow in my understanding, recognizing understanding is not just intellectual, it's experiential. Pentecost, one of the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit is he leads us into the truth of who Jesus is. So we're asking, Holy Spirit, over the course of this summer, would you lead me into the truth of Jesus as king or Jesus as healer or Jesus as deliverer, whatever it is. And again, yours may not be there on the screen, but we want to be intentional about pursuing him in that one new dimension over the course of these next couple of months. We don't want hearts that are hard. This was another echo. I don't know if you see this or not. This is Job 9. Let me flip back there real quick. I think it'll be on the screen. I was thinking, so Jesus walking on water. See if it sounds like this to you. Starting in verse 4. His, that's God's. God's wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He moves mountains without their knowing it and overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and makes its pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the ways of the sea. He's the maker of the bear and Orion, the Pleiades, and the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes me, I can't see him. When he goes by, I can't perceive him. So the words there, some of those words, treads on the sea, that's the same as walks on the lake. Those are the same words. The word for passes by in Job 9 is the same as the word for passed by in Mark 6. I think we're supposed to pick up on that. The disciples weren't where Job was. Job was in an awful, awful, awful place. But the disciples, they are Straining Again, that word torture, they're, they're being subject to great distress. And I, I was thinking about that for some of us, maybe in the room. God wants to reveal himself to you over the course of this summer. And he wants to reveal himself to you in the midst of your suffering. And this is hard. He's going to pass by you. But it's not because he doesn't care. His intention is to pass by you so that you can see him. He's not going to fix it immediately. And so that to us feels like a lack of care and concern. What God is trying to do is show himself to us in a way that maybe we can only know when it's difficult. That we can only know in suffering. And if you find yourself there, I don't want to uh, be fatalistic. God absolutely can change circumstances, and I think he will. And he reveals himself to us in suffering. Again, that he wants to pass by. We don't want to be like the disciples who think he's a ghost. We don't, even Job is saying, I, I, I didn't see him. We don't want to be like that. We want to see him when he walks by us 
this summer. Now, if, you're, if everything's great, he still wants to reveal himself to you 100%, but I was thinking particularly about those of you who are hurting and maybe thinking for him to reveal himself to me, that's gonna be him fixing this mess. And again, we wanna pray that he would, but we don't wanna miss him in the middle of that suffering. Second thing, last thing, and then we'll close. So the Holy Spirit, he, he does lead us into the truth of who Jesus is. The, the Holy Spirit also, he, he wants to empower us to be witnesses. That's what Matt talked about with Pentecost. If you go back and read Acts chapter 2, that story is all about people hearing about who Jesus is in their own language, in a way that they can understand. That's part of the miracle of Pentecost. And he wants to use you. And you may be thinking, I've got, I've got this much beef jerky and the need is this big. It doesn't matter. He wants you to bring him what you have so that he can use that, multiply that, work through that so that others would know how much he loves them. So this is the way we're gonna close. Bo's gonna come back and lead us in a little worship. Then we've got three different things I want you to think about. It's a lot. I know. One, some of you on the most fundamental level, when we think about this loaves and fishes, you need, you're hungry. Like you need some food, physical provision. That can be a hard thing to acknowledge, but if that's you, we want to pray that God would provide for you. So if you're struggling for us, that looks like financially, we wanna pray for you. And I don't want you to be embarrassed about that. We, if, if you're in a bad spot, let the teams up here know. You don't have to give them all the details, but we'll pray that God will provide, that he will multiply whatever it is that you have. We're gonna leave this uh, part of the stage open there may be somebody, and if there's not somebody, I would say you need to pick somebody that you're praying for that doesn't know Jesus. And we want you to give you an opportunity to come and pray for them, that the Holy Spirit would, would even use you to reveal to them how much God loves them. And again, you may feel like all I've got is a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. Just bring it to him. Bring him what you have and see how he wants to use that. And then third, for those of you who are saying, I want Jesus to reveal himself to me in this, whatever that way is, we'll, we'll, we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to open your eyes over the course of this next couple of months. Good? No? Okay. We don't have time for me to go back over it, so just, we'll just do the best we can. You guys stand. I'm going to say a prayer. Ministry teams, you guys can come forward. And I do... Uh, I do want y'all to respond, if you will. We've talked about this before. There is something about just that act of faith and humility and walking forward. I know it can feel difficult walking down an aisle in front of a room full of people. Nobody's judging you. Absolutely, God can meet you in your seat and he can meet you in your home. But there is something about just that physical action of taking a step. Holy Spirit, we're so thankful for you in our life. We're thankful for the ways that you fill us, empower us, and lead us. And I pray for everyone in this room, anyone who's watching online, I pray that you would do all of those things. I pray that over the course of the next couple of months, you would lead each one of us more deeply into some element, some aspect of who Jesus is. That when, come August 1st, everybody in this room would say, I know him better than I did on June 1st. I know him better. 
And we want to pray for those that we love that don't know Jesus at all. Lost, blind. Many of them are kind of fat and happy. They're not, they don't even, there's not even a sense in them that they need a savior. God, we pray that just like that crowd got hungry, we pray for these that we love, that they would get hungry over the course of this summer. Everything that, that, that maybe the people are doing to satisfy desire in their heart, those things would all begin to leave them wanting. And they would begin to hunger for something real and true. And then you, Holy Spirit, would empower us with the little that we've got, a little slice of bread and a little piece of fish, that you would empower us to share with others through our words, through our actions, and by our presence to communicate how much the Father loves them, how good and how great he is. And God, we also wanna pray for those who are struggling financially right now. We know the burden of that. And we pray that over the course of these next two months, that you would work, that you would deliver people from debt, that you would increase people's wages, that you would help people out of difficult, difficult situations financially. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week.